listen up. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the podcast participants and not to any participants, employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. You know, for fun. So lighten up and enjoy. Oh, stomping Jen. Hi. Good morning. I'm saying good, good morning. morning. We are doing something unusual for yes. us. We're recording in the morning. In the morning. With our guest, um, who is Hannah Reckshoffen, who is going to talk to us about um, this idea called creative placemaking, right? And how that um, involves community and economic development. That's my favorite topic. I know, and it involves I'm so art. Excited. Art it's too. All my favorite stuff. Yes, I'm um, excited. So that means I can sit back and coast <laughs> no. and not be the host. No, you're always the host. With the you're most. The host. <laughs> all right. The Are we ready? Yes. Sh- uh, should I be a hostess this morning? You could be whatever you want to hmm. be. Okay. All right. Well, let's get started, shall we? Yes. And um, that means I play the intro music. Okay. All right. Here we go. All right. Creamy, delicious ideas without the creepy truck. Stomping Jen, we're here in the morning to talk again. Let's make some space for creative space making conversation. No. No? No. How I mean, we're going to have you. the conversation, but no more singing. All right. Well, let's say hello to our guest, Hannah Reckshoffen. Good morning, Hannah. Uh-oh. Did I uh, not unmute her? Whoops. Yeah. Shame on me. See, this is what happens when we record in the morning. Sorry, Hannah. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. I upside down your whole thing. Sorry. That's totally cool. The change is falling out of my pockets. It's jangling on the floor. I've been flipped upside down. Well, Hannah, how are you? I'm awesome. I'm awesome, Satu. Thanks for asking. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, Now, I I typically do a very, very terrible job introducing people. Um, (laughs) Is there anything else you want to tell us about who you are and uh, why you're here to talk to us? Ooh. Uh, turning it right over to me. Yeah, I'm here because Jen asked me if I would come on the podcast, which I'm super excited to because there's very little I like more than opportunities to talk, period. (laughs) To talk about about, uh, what I do, especially with um, other folks who, who are kind of in my same sphere. So I'm excited to unpack a little bit in a more casual way what I do for work and and what I do for life because it kind of bleeds over mm-hmm. outside of my professional jobs. Yeah. And yeah. you're and you're 
your jam. I'm going to get loose with yes. the rhetoric, Snomping Jam. Yeah. I'm going to say jam. Yeah, your, your, your jam. Your jam is creative placemaking. It is. Now, what it is. is this? What is this? Tell us. What is creative placemaking? I will. I will. So I'll preface it by saying that this is my definition of creative placemaking. Um, I think a lot of people would define it a lot of different ways. Um, for me, creative placemaking is looking at the components that make up a place. So uh, the history of that place, the art that's happening, the people that are there, what those people seem to do and want. and then shifting an eye to economic development or how that place evolves and being really mindful of knitting together what's there already and where it's going. So for instance, around economic development, that's usually done, or at least in historically has been done in a kind of aggressive way and often without keeping an eye on what already exists in a place. Mm, Some yes. people refer to it as creative place keeping instead of place making. Oh, I like that. Yeah, to nod to the fact that no place at this juncture in our lives is without some identity, right? Yeah. It might might be a lapsed identity. It might be, you know, you're sprucing up a vacant lot in Philadelphia and everyone's like, oh, there's nothing there. But there was something there that led to that vacancy. So even picking up the threads of that, I think, is important. So creative placemaking to me is arts, culture, and history leveraged into more sustainable, healthier, and inclusive growth and economic development. Yeah, I like that. And when I think the term economic development, right, I think for a lot of people um, triggers kind of visions of the bulldozers coming in, everything getting torn down, Mm -hmm. and like new stuff getting put up. The new. Not that that creative placemaking or creative placekeeping doesn't involve new things, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Um, what I'm hearing Hannah say is this concept is very aimed at looking at a place yeah. and preserving um, elements of its character that it makes sense to keep, right? And right. very much trying to uh, maintain the identity of a place yeah. Um, yeah. And, and pull it forward yeah, or push it forward. Yeah. Pull or push. I think either yeah. would work in this. Yeah, or encourage. Yeah, guide it forward. Yeah. Do I have it right, Stomping Jen? Well, you're just Hannah? like making it less scary, right? Because people don't yeah. like change, right? So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that collaborative nature that you're referring to about, like, I, I like that a lot. Like the not ignoring the history that of the place that already existed before, and acknowledging that it had a history. Yeah. I think that's key. Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of people will come in in the economic development realm and they just, not with bulldozers, but just they have a vision for what they think will work in a community and they just force it down people's throats sometimes. Right. So creative placemaking, this this approach, it it tries to involve the community, right? You go to the yeah. people in the, in the community and talk to them? I do. That's definitely how I <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah I mean... You know, I think one of the things that's really important around change is that the less something is known or the less someone feels heard or involved, Mm. the scarier the change is. I find that when change is, you know, talked through, it's explained, even in situations where, um, you know, let's say you're holding a community forum around a project that's happening even just being heard sometimes, if nothing 
changes with what the outcome of that meeting is, whatever it is still gets built or, you know, just being heard makes such a difference for people because it's really just being like, like you say, bulldozed over in that way that makes people just like dig in and get angry and get scared. And so I do a lot of talking to the community. I make sure that people know where to find me, that I'm accessible, my emails everywhere. Um, I love like having conversations and digging into things. And I also never, ever shy away from a hard conversation. I don't mind disagreeing with someone. I don't mind them disagreeing with me and, you know, continuing to kind of have a conversation about why something is happening the way it's happening. Mm -hmm. So that I think is the really important part of community building is creating space for conversations, having those conversations in a really transparent and honest way, and also standing for what you believe in, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not just like growth for growth's sake or business for business's sake. If we really can look at something through the lens of everyone having the best of intentions, then it's just a matter of talking it out and sharing what those intentions are and accepting that disagreement is a natural part of living in community, any community, not just a community with a, you know, development situation going on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And economic development involves transformation and change. We've said that. Mm -hmm. Are some of the things people concerned about as simple as, you know, I don't want that tree to be torn down or I'm afraid my, my pond is going to be filled in or something like, is that the type of stuff you have to talk to people about? Like those type of concerns? Definitely. I would say my particular situation in my company, um, I don't tend to be on the front as much of, um, well, no, actually that's not true at all. I'm going to roll that back for a second. Yes, that's very much what the conversation <laughs> is. Um, you know, I think I find, especially in my particular uh, situation in my company, I work for WD Coles, which is a ninth generation company in North Amherst, um, large land owning company, conservation company, foresting company. We do so many different things. And It's really interesting to me how often I get into conversations around development where people express exactly that. You don't care about wetlands. You're going to ruin this. You're going to do this. You know, and for me, though, I couch it in a somewhat less blunt way than I will here. I'm always so flabbergasted that people don't connect the dots of how a company lasts for nine generations. Mm -hmm. Don't last for that long by you know, totally ignoring the importance of nature and conservation. W.D. Coles was doing sustainable forestry before that was a thing. So it, I like getting into conversations with people where I have the opportunity to say, you know, we would never ignore a wetland. We, you know, we yeah. go to great lengths to map everything, to make sure we're developing in a way that is mindful of the environment I mean, all of those things. So but yeah, people have favorite trees, singular, like, you know, we get communication from people that are like, please don't cut down this one tree on top of this one hill. And our foresters are like, got it. And they have a whole like <laughs> book of yeah. things. That they're like, don't move this rock. Don't cut this tree down. And, and the company, you know, tries to do that as much as possible. So I, again, just hearing people doing your best and then conversely asking people 
to try and assume that we have the best of intentions as well when we're looking at developing an area because we see an opportunity for people to live closer to amenities, to walk to those amenities, all of the reasons that we are doing the development we're doing. Right. So, yeah, it gets that granular for sure. And what's a what's an example of a creative placemaking project? Like, yeah. could you tell us like, just so to kind of take this from the concept of something we can all think about in our minds as a concrete thing? Yeah, totally. So let's see, I can give a couple examples because it creative placemaking to me is it's anything. It's so many different things. It, it even uh, bleeds over a little bit for me into what some people call tactical urbanism. Mm-hmm. So anytime you're looking at a space and saying to yourself, how do people interact with this space? You know, so anything from better lighting, just making something brighter or artistic lighting, putting in like really cool, you know, some kind of light installation, public art in a space means that people are going to walk through that space and stop and look at a mural or stop and look at a sculpture. Um, Bringing in something like a local art gallery to an area that didn't previously have a place for artists to show their work, definitely creative placemaking, no much more on a, you know, official business side of it, I think. Um, Something like the barriers that you see up now in all the towns, uh, Mm -hmm. Northampton, Amherst, Greenfield, um, that created the space for outdoor dining, but you decide to paint those barriers just because they could have just been big cement barriers. People still would have eaten there, but putting some paint on them involving local artists, all of a sudden you've got this like colorful streetscape and people who might not have felt comfortable coming out and eating yet that color, that art psychologically does something that makes something feel more inviting because on a subconscious level, often they're realizing that someone paid attention to it. And if they paid attention to it, that must mean, and usually does mean that whoever paid attention to it cares about that space, cares about who's in that space. And thus in this frame of COVID, for instance, is probably trying to make it safer. So I'm going to go there instead of a place that feels like nobody really gave it some thought. Mm. So there's a lot of psychological, you know, there's a great, um, organization in Philadelphia called the Mural Arts Project that's responsible for Philadelphia having the largest outdoor art collection in the country. Um, And they've done a lot of studies around the psychology. What does it do to put up a mural, plant trees, add lighting to a space, and through extensive surveying of people who are utilizing those public spaces, they're able to actually chart the psychological response to a space being more inviting, thought of, cared for, all of those things. So Mm -hmm. neighborhoods where there were huge public safety issues um, turned a corner after one public space where a lot of shady stuff was happening is transformed through some of these creative placemaking means. And all of a sudden the, the response in surveys is that that is a safe neighborhood. That is a safe place. I do let my kids play there, even though the only thing that changed is a mural and some lighting, all of a sudden public safety numbers, the instances drop, people are spending more time outside. And we know that people sharing public space more 
drives away some shady behavior because shady behavior happens where you think no one's watching you. Right. So in the dark. So just those little things really start to build a, a community's sense of their own spaces. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. You, yeah. It's interesting. You say that we were in a, um, a Western mass Massachusetts city last night, Northampton. Mm-hmm. And it was after, after dark and <laughs> after dark, we, well, we had parked <laughs> on near dark. Yeah. We had parked on this side street Yeah, and it was, you know, um, I, you know, I was looking around <laughs> you know, I'm a scaredy cat on the best of days. So anyways, we were walking <laughs> and I noticed this giant mural on the wall. Yeah. It was a Teenage Ninja Turtles mural. Oh, yeah. It was the bank robber mural. Bank yeah, robber and mural. I but it made me like laugh and feel better. Yeah. <laughs> and then I wasn't so but I'm not just making this up. Yeah. And like I right. I just felt myself like relax a little bit. I had a chuckle at the mural. It was yeah. an unexpected um pleasurable discovery (laughs) sorry just face (laughs) your face (laughs) well it's interesting too because you know you talk about philadelphia but it's happening out here like so springfield we had Britt rue on here a couple couple she's incredible weeks or months or whatever now uh you know you know and the transformation that's happening down in springfield that gets a hugely bad rap in the press uh you know nationally for being Not such a pleasant city. And, you know, they're doing such great work down there, not just um, Commonwealth murals, but, you know, it's driven, it's part of a whole renaissance that's happening down in the city that's being driven by arts and culture. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So how, um, Hannah, how do you, how do you move from ideas about how to creatively um, transform a place or a space um, how do you get stakeholder involvement? So like yeah. the owner of a building, um, the owner of a parcel of land, like when you yeah. get, when you get an idea, like how do you draw the stakeholders in? That's a great question. That's a great question. And it happens, um, a few different ways, I think, depending on where the person with the idea or people with the ideas, um, are kind of coming from. So, I am in uh, a pretty privileged position, I think, in my job to work for a company that is on board with this. I mean, my position was created by the president of my company because she had a strong passion for doing this kind of thing. So, um, you know, sometimes you find private companies that are just super on board. And then it's just a matter of bringing an idea to them Um you know, talking it through. If you don't have funding, I would say funding is the the sort of sticking point that can happen in a few different ways. Um, if you're a nonprofit, there are a lot of grants out there, especially in the last eight to 10 years when creative placemaking has really become more of like a thing. I think some people would call it a little bit of a fad. I don't mind a fad if it makes the thing happen. Mm. Um, You know, so there are a lot of grants out there that are focused on spaces. So if you're a nonprofit um, or you find an amazing grant that's eligible for anyone, um, you can certainly go that route. I think very often I find, you know, whether it's a landlord or a business, so many people just kind of shy away from just asking. And I, I would like to think, and this might be overly optimistic, I do have that uh, issue <laughs> so 
sometimes. But I do think that a lot of business owners, if you ask them or landlords or land managers and and, um, owners, if you ask them and all they have to do is maybe, you know, grease the permitting process, make sure that, you know, they're signing where they need to sign, but it doesn't necessarily cost them anything. A lot of them would get on board with more projects than people would think. Um, And then, you know, you mentioned Commonwealth murals. I think they have really brought an amazing process with the community mural making that they've been doing with Greta McLean um, from Minneapolis, where you can get the community involved in painting a mural or um, you can get an artist involved with maybe putting a sculpture out in a field that's just been sitting in their studio. And Mm -hmm. as long as, you know, maybe you help finance the moving of that and the placement of that sculpture. I mean, so often just asking what would this really take and then saying to a business owner, hey, we've we've explored what this would take. This is what it would take, but this is what it would get you. People are going to notice your building. They're going to notice your business. Um, they're going to feel more comfortable coming in. I mean, it's there are benefits to it. So again, just like making sure that that's being talked through is is really the first step. And then things like funding, permitting, um, those are all processes that you can either find someone who knows how to do them, um, reach out to someone who, you know, maybe has done some work. If you're in a town you haven't done stuff in before, there every town's permitting process is different for things like this. Um, but it's really just a matter, I think, of getting the wheels turning, talking mm-hmm. to people about it, um, making sure that you're being transparent about why you're doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah. And just kind of going, I'm trying to think of parts of the process that can be bumpy. I mean, if you're in like a super public space and it involves like a municipality, there, there are often processes, community meetings, you know, for instance, I put in, um, a story walk in North Amherst, which is a very common, has become a very common, um, kind of creative placemaking project. It was created in Montpelier, Vermont, um, where you take a storybook and you break it down page by page and you put it on little pedestals along a walking path. I've seen it in, you know, streetscape spaces, forests, museums. It's just a way to kind of get outside and and read a thing and encourage kids to kind of think outside the box of bedtime story time. Um, You know, but that process is the story walk is on the Julius Lester trail at Mill River Recreation in North Amherst. That's a town owned space. So I had to go before the Amherst Conservation Committee. Um, I had to get in touch with folks at the town to pitch the idea in the first place. We had to look at how the pedestals were being built and installed. Um, I selected to put it out there for broader community comment from the North Amherst community. Is, Is this something you want? where should we put it? Cause I had had a whole other idea of where I was going to put it before talking to the community. Um, and then got great feedback about, uh, accessibility of this trail, which I hadn't considered. Um, so, you know, there are certainly steps, but they shouldn't be discouraging steps. I mean, they really are just a matter sometimes of finding who's done this process before, um, and what does, a town or a business require as far as approving something, especially yeah. something that's going to be installed for a good amount of time. Yeah. And I love that. Just asking, right. right. 
just asking is one of the hardest things we can do as people or as businesses. Did you do that project uh, at the Mill River with um, with with cal- with cows or was that? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I was with them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just through my sort of role as a placemaker, we've um, so the Mill District, which I know we haven't quite gotten yeah. to talking about yet, but um, the Mill District does. Um, encompass a couple different sort of nodes. Mm-hmm. So there's the area that Coles owns where it's easy to do placemaking because my approval chain exists of walking into right, exactly. <laughs> Cindy Jones office and being like, what do you think about this idea? And she's very often like, love it. Um, but it also includes a couple of town owned spaces, Mill River Recreation um, and Cherry Hill Golf Course and a couple others that are really sort of ripe for activation. People are using those spaces. They're, you know, especially in COVID, Mm -hmm. they saw really wonderful traffic from people because they were outdoor places to enjoy yourself. Mill River Rec has like, you know, baseball fields and tennis courts and an awesome pavilion. And so it's like people are already going there. Um, And so I keep thinking about ways to activate those spaces, but that will always include the town. Um, And I will leave any jokes about working with the town of Amherst (laughs) aside because my experience of working with the town of Amherst, and I'm from this area, so I know where the reputation comes from, but, and um, (laughs) my experience of working with the town of Amherst um, has been very positive. And, And again, I think it's this thing of just asking, sometimes it is being persistent Mm -hmm. about something, but, um, you know, very often I find when towns or anyone are resistant to things, it's because they think it's going to create more work for them and they don't have the capacity and that's legit, right? If you don't have the capacity, any request is hard. So if you go to the town or you go to that person and you say, Hey, I really want to do this thing. This is exactly how I'm going to do it. This is the role you would play, you know, really break it down and get specific for them at the outset. You're much more likely to have a good result, which is not to say, you know, I'm sure there are people out there who are going to listen to this and be like, she is so wrong. I've done this now with Amherst. Absolutely. Every town has processes that, that drag a bit and can be cumbersome, but you know, it, it, for me, at least this particular project went, pretty smoothly. I mean, it definitely took a good seven months start to finish to get the approvals and the install and all the stuff. And I ended up with a storybook about bugs like in the winter, but whatever, (laughs) it happened and it was great. And I had parents who were like, yeah, my kid asked me what bugs do all winter. And it was a really good experience because I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And that's where I think um, community buy-in, right? And spending the time on talking to the community is so important because I think a lot of a lot of times that can if you can get that, that can help a town and that can help the administration of the town get behind something, right? If the community is yeah. very vocal about supporting it. Hundred percent. Yeah. And now and let's talk a little bit more about this um mill um the mill district yeah. project that um that is it Coles or Cowles? I know Coles. Coles has has been involved with. Um, can you just tell us what the Mill District project is? It I've been there and visited a few times, and it's it's a pretty amazing site. 
Um, so yeah. if you could just tell us a little more about that, that would be great. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to. Um, so let's see, there are a couple different things. So the first thing I would say is that mixed use developments, which is a development where there is commercial space on the first floor, usually the first floor, um, and residential space above has become a very popular way to develop, um, especially in cities, because it creates spaces where amenities are close to people. So um, the mill district is actually built on the Coles family home farm, which has been in the family since 1741. Um, and one of the things about the Cole's company, ninth generation company, that I think is really amazing is that every single generation of the family, of the company, has been willing to pivot and really look at what that generation needed and not stagnate in what the company was offering. So um, I always blank on exactly the year that the sawmill that was on the property closed. I want to say it was 2011. Um, it might have been slightly later than that. But when the sawmill closed, which had been there for generations, um, it was an opportunity for the company, Cinda Jones and her brother, Evan Jones, to do exactly that. Look around, check in. What does our generation need? And, and the thing that they really felt was we were moving into a time and this really became, I think, a bit prophetic when it comes to COVID. Um, you know, we were coming into a time where we needed more community. We needed more spaces. We were in this like super, you know, so they're planning this, what, in like, I guess, 2014, 2015, we're in this super internet world. Social media is kind of at its height in this way. People are not connecting in person. Climate stuff is going on. People want ways to not have to drive as much. And when they looked around at that, they said it would be so great if this home farm space had more places for people to live, including more affordable spaces, which is a huge deal in Amherst and other towns, um, and had more business amenities right in North Amherst. So <clears throat> North Amherst has long had some businesses in it. There's uh, Riverside Shops, which are there. There's House of Teriyaki, um, Black Walnut Inn, Simple Gifts Farm. There was already a lot kind of happening in North Amherst. And they were like, we could have a space where there are more people living, more people doing business. And it would just kind of make this village center more active. So that birthed the Mill District, which is along Coles Road. Um, right now it's in phase like two of what will be some more development down the road, um, specifically. Um, and so we partnered with Beacon Communities, which is a developer out of Boston um, that's very well known for including affordable housing in their developments. Um, and built this phase of the Mill District, which are two buildings that have 130 apartments above 22,000 square feet of commercial space. Um, we're also slowly retrofitting barns that are on the property to also create spaces. So the first one was built out for Atkins, um, which left in July of last year and Provisions moved their second location in. Um, 
So we have some active businesses right now. We also have space that's still available for commercial lease. And we're in the midst of that process, finding, you know, the right tenants to come into those spaces. We're super, super picky about who comes in because the community is very vocal about what they would like to see in those spaces. Um, And we're doing our best to try and meet those needs and desires. So for instance, when Atkins exited, we had a little hole for, like a good small grocery store, we have been beating the bushes for the last two years to figure out who that could be. And we're still looking. Um, So the mill district really is kind of at the heart of North Amherst and trying to create a more robust downtown feeling in this particular village center. Yeah. And I love, and and I love that because this geographical area you're talking about North Amherst, like I think a a lot of towns have these population centers that are far away from, you know, the downtown area or not within easy walking distance of a lot of, um, uh, shops or, or other or recreational opportunities. Right. In this particular area, of, of North Amherst is, is, is like that. I mean, mm-hmm. to get to the main town center, it's a couple miles, right? And yes, on the other side of UMass campus, which can be a huge barrier. Yeah. And one thing you said that I love is that you're um, repurposing like existing mm-hmm. structures like barns and turn yeah. and turn and incorporating them into um, the project and into the mill district. Um I love old buildings like that. And mm-hmm. I, and I, and, and a lot of developers just come in and, you know, again, it's that this fear that they're you're going to come in with the bulldozer, right. Yeah. And put up some kind of generic nondescript type right. of building. But, but you're really trying to preserve some of the character of the, the place and the space yeah. by reusing these barns. Like barns are beautiful. They're beautiful. And they shouldn't be torn down and turned into flooring for some asshole's apartment in Soho. Yeah. What? Sorry. <laughs> Barnwood is super in. You're not wrong. I feel strongly about this. Oh my um, god. No, so yeah, I love that yeah. I love that Coles is like is is yeah. saving these buildings. Because there's yeah, an element of historic yeah, yeah, there's an element of historical preservation to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it's fun. And it's like, it's so shot through with history. I mean, I'm, Kohl's is a very unique entity. I mean, for this business, for this company to still exist after nine generations in a time where many family companies have already been sold to whoever, you know, they're saving these barns because they're their barns. Like the stories for so long, the the barn that Atkins was in, that Provisions is in now, Um, is often referred to internally as the cow palace because it was a cow barn. Mm -hmm. And so when we were like writing up marketing materials and I was like, I don't know if we should call it the cow palace. No one's going to know what we're talking about. But at the end of the day, no one cared. It just, it was like a nice, you know, so that history is real. That history is super present all the time. Yeah. I had a, I actually had a question for you about this and like, I didn't ask it because I can hear it in what you're saying, and I think it's coming through, is that it must feel inspiring to work for a company that's been around nine generations. Like, I don't even know how many years that is. 279. That is crazy. And there must, um, that sense of history must pervade a lot of what they do. And it just, they must feel it too. Like, 
hugely. Yeah. Hugely ever present. Yeah. Yeah. That, that. I mean, and the fact that it's, I mean, nine generations, because a lot of times in families, like the kids don't want to take it over. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I think that has definitely been a lucky term. And the 10th generation is actually working for the company right now because we opened the Mill District General Store earlier this month. Um, and one of uh, Evan Jones's children is working there. So the 10th generation is already working for it, seeing how it all works, feeling it out. I mean, she's young, so yeah. <laughs> we're not quite at the place, you know. And I think like many healthy family companies, um, everyone in every generation is encouraged to go out and do their thing. Um, and then if there is, you know, an instance of interest or, you know, an opportunity for someone in the next generation to come back and work for the company and that feels good and authentic, there's no like forced right. carrying of the torch, you know? So it's like all of, uh, the 10th generation are between the ages of 19 and 15, I believe. So it's like, they're just kind of feeling their stuff out, but it's fun to work with them. The connectivity is very strong and that's not always the case yeah. in a family company for sure. Yeah. That must be challenging to try to, how do you, how do you figure out how to convince the, the current generation um, yeah. to keep going? Uh, but like, I think like Hannah said, um, you know, maybe they'll, Maybe they'll venture out. Maybe they'll come back. Right. Um, but what this says is you got to have lots of babies. Okay. Ninth generation. <laughs> More. Get, get working. Um, oh and there's a lot of shops. There's a lot. I'm looking at the um, the Mill District website. There's a lot of shops yeah. there. I'm going to read some of them. Yes. <laughs> there's, um, this is important, pizza. Amherst <laughs> House of Pizza. They're there. Um, Amazing. There's a, um, a liquor store. Um Cole's building supply is there. Um, uh, like a sign, a sign making shop is there, and like a oh, maker. Hammer and stain. They're actually no longer. Yeah, oh. there. yeah they're, they're not there. Is that still on the website? Oh, they are it here is still in Belchertown. Yeah. Yes, Lori Kamen. She she moved uh, to Belchertown during COVID. Yeah. All right. But, well, this is this is this is a real. You know, yeah. here you go, folks. You're listening to a real. Um, a, a, a production in process. We don't always get it right. <laughs> I'm looking Mindy's barber shop. Yes, yeah. Yep. Jake's awesome, especially known for her men's haircuts. Nice. Oh. Jake's, mm -hmm. which is a giant win, I'm sure, for you guys. A restaurant. To have Jake's. Oh, they're awesome. And Amherst, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep, a restaurant known for its um awesome breakfast food mm -hmm. and like salons, um, a laundry place. Yep. Um, now this one is interesting. Well, a breast milk shop of some kind. <laughs> what? Look right here. Yeah. So yeah, no, that's fair. So Vital Milk, which yeah. is owned uh, by the very amazing Don Kennedy, um, used to be in Greenfield and moved down to North Amherst well, about a year and a half, two years ago. Um, and she does everything from lactation classes and coaching to selling of equipment related to lactation and other baby needs. But one of the coolest things that she does is they train peer to peer lactation educators and support. Mm -hmm. So there are people that get trained to go out into their communities and help new mamas and new parents figure out some of those, you know, bumpy starts to things. So yeah. rather than just her needing to be the one who's constantly making contact, she actually is building a network of 
people who can support those processes, which as you guys have kids, you know, can be super stressful. If you Mm -hmm. don't have support, you know, you don't have family around you that's going to teach you some of those things. So her business is so, so cool. So she just has a small business in the Riverside shops. People come to her, but she often is going out into the community too. It's so interesting because I'm looking at this list that you have on the website and what I think is hard to convey over the radio or over the this media yes. is that they're not all together in one, like one um, shopping plaza, right. right? They're like in multiple places across roads, like down the street a little. So yeah. you are creating this whole district. It's not yeah. just one strip mall here. Right. With and that these shops. That, exactly. And that brings up, I think one of the things about creative placemaking um, that is the real sort of community process of it, at least for me in this particular um, built environment, is that there are two different spaces that Kohl's owns. There's kind of the Mill District North Square. That's where the apartments are on Kohl's Road, where the bigger buildings were just built. Um, And then there are the Riverside shops, which are right at the where Route 63 or Montague Road meets the main historic center of North Amherst, where the little library is, those shops were built by the eighth generation Mm -hmm. of the family, Cindy and Evan's father. Um, They have 48 townhomes behind those shops. So it was really built. He had a major passion, as Cindy and Evan do, for um, workforce housing, the idea that people who work in Amherst should be able to live in Amherst. So that created the Riverside shops. So there are some shops in there. And in between the two spaces is our houses. There's a little bridge that, you know, could use some like zhuzhing and attention. So it's like (laughs) connecting these two nodes really involves the not only the homeowners in between, but anyone who's traveling mm-hmm. this way. So, you know, there's everything from putting the Mill District name on something to make it clear that they're connected, doing some, um, you know, kind of placemaking stuff around beautification along the road where people are traveling. Cinda has talked a lot, a lot, a lot about how do we do some placemaking stuff to try and make the walk that many people, especially students, do from the harp mm-hmm. on a late night to Amherst House of Pizza. How do we remind those students in, you know, gentle and artistic ways that people are living here to be respectful? So, you know, there's a lot of thought that goes into connecting these different points. So we call it all the Mill District. But for me, I'm always watching for the buy-in of businesses that we don't own or spaces that we don't own, because when people opt into it, you know, when a realtor calls it the mill district on their page and we didn't have any part of that, I get excited because it means that people are responding to the idea that this whole space could have an identity. Right. So, you know, there, there are the spaces that I sort of have access to immediately. And then there are the spaces that I'm always trying to, communicate with the folks that are owning or in charge of or inhabiting those spaces to try and make the mill district something that they want to be a part of, not something that they're being told to be a part of. And that's a huge difference. Yeah. And we know people who live in that area. Um, Mr. The Professor Weasley and um, 
This is and uh, Professor <laughs> Professor Weasley lived there, and they talk they talk about walking over there mm-hmm. all the time. Like they're in walking distance to the main like um, yeah. mill the the newer mill district development. Yeah, and they walk over there all the time. Mm-hmm. They talk about it. Yeah, but they what I'm saying is I'm trying to communicate that as residents of that area, right. they were like really excited about having all of that stuff Access there within yeah. walking yeah. distance yeah. um that's that you know was something that was really exciting to them um nice. Nice. it's a super yeah. cool project yeah it is right it's very cool i always get excited i've met um especially actually in the last year and i won't turn this conversation to covid outcomes but especially in the last year there have been a lot of folks moving into the area from urban spaces because they don't want to be in cities anymore. So I've met couples from LA, from Brooklyn, from Philly, where I moved back to the area from, um, and have talked to people who moved to North Amherst or Leverett because this was being built and they recognized that this was a place that they were going to be able to frequent, to suggest things, to be you know, brought in and they really wanted to be near something that was kind of like building in that way. So even before we kind of got reopened, people were rolling the dice with us, which is really exciting. And it's a long process, right? Like you, (laughs) right. Because this has been in the works for years. This is not like all of a sudden this is happening, right? It's a lot of thought has gone into planning and putting together and outreach and recruitment and community yeah. building and talking. And-, and maybe this speaks to the um, ethos of um, um, Coles. Um, but what I love about the Mill District website is it's not just uh, focused on the businesses that are there. There's a, there's a whole page on the website dedicated to um, recreation opportunities, yeah. like how to get outside. Like they link to, um, <clears throat> there's the Mill River Recreation Area. There's a local pond called Puffer's Pond that people can go to. It has a little beach. There's this epic hiking trail. Um, yes, the Robert Ro- Frost Trail. Yep, the Robert Frost Trail. There's a golf course. So, like, I like this focus, too, about, you know, get outside and, and do stuff being important to the community. Mm-hmm. Yes, but- definitely. And I think that is a huge part of... North Amherst's identity and kind of where we are is that you are right on the edge of the outdoors and there's so much to do and people are coming for those things. And so we definitely think about that around amenities. Like when we were opening the general store, we were like, we have to have some outdoor stuff, picnic stuff, or, you know, a like cooler backpack that someone can pack some stuff in and go off on the trail. Because if that's what people are coming to do, then we need to, you know, help them set up for that. So right. there's a constant plugging in. Yeah. Yeah. Recreation feeds business. Oh, totally. Right. Sure. Stomping Jen. Oh, totally. Don't get me started. <laughs> I'll go down into a deep, deep, deep rabbit hole. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and that's why, you know, it's important to talk to people in the community about why investing in um, recreational opportunities mm-hmm. is something that makes sense for a community. hundred uh, percent. Right. Because this is going to bring, this is going to, yeah, this is going to bring people um, out from outside and to invest in your community. People are going to want to come and live there. Yeah. Um, Imagine that. <clears throat> also this, I, I love this and this is like my dream. Uh, Cause <laughs> Hannah, I don't like to go anywhere. Um, uh-huh. 
<laughs> I like that you could live there at this mill district. Yeah. You could buy an apartment there and never have to leave mm-hmm. because they have everything you could need there, Stomping Jen. Right. I could get my beard trimmed. Uh-huh. I could get food. Right. Breast milk if I need it. Oh, my God. There's a breast milk shop. <laughs> God, they don't think they sell breast milk. Like, oh. you can't walk in and get a jug of breast milk. All right. Milk. <laughs> All right. If I, <laughs> if I need a lactation consultant, yes, I could talk to one. if you need one. a lactation yes. consultant, that's true. She's awesome. My baby having days pizza. may not be over. What are you talking about? Anyways, I'm just saying I, I'm just saying I could have everything I need if I live there. Right, you can go hiking. Mm-hmm. I don't like bugs, so I'm not going hiking. You can go. Oh. You can go to the beach. Right. Um, yeah. There's a library. There's yep. a post office. That's right. Do everything. Yes, yeah, so I'm just saying. I'm just saying that um, you know maybe maybe you are um, maybe you're looking at retiring. Maybe you're yeah. maybe mm-hmm. you want to live in an area where you don't have to drive as much. Right. Save yes. on gas. Right. So this you could there are a, you can uh, buy or rent an apartment there. Right. You can get your laundry mm-hmm. done. Yeah. Yeah, all of the apartments at the moment are rentals, but we are looking yeah. in future developments at having um, condos that you can purchase because that was a lot of the feedback that we got when these apartments opened. We had a lot of folks, especially in that retirement age that you mentioned, who were like, yeah, I don't want to rent an apartment. I just owned a house for 40 years. I want to yeah. own a condo. And so we heard that feedback and our are considering that in future developments because that's clearly what people in the community want. They want to live there. They want to be year round. They want to park it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. What about a tiny house? I want a tiny house. Stomping Jen. Well, the, now you were talking about the houses, the housing development behind the Riverside shops. Yes. Aren't some of those like, there's like a community, maybe it's up on Pine Street. Sorry, I might be going off the rails a little bit. Isn't there like some like co-housing Yes. Yeah. There are actually two co-housing communities in North Amherst. There's one on Pine Street um, and one on Pulpit Hill. Okay. But are those Coles? I've been there for a long time. No. No. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No. What is co- co-housing? Yeah. What is co-housing? Yeah. Because I'm not can, living with other people. We could probably find somebody who's an expert on co-housing. <laughs> that might not be for you. Yeah. yeah. I don't know anything yeah. about co-housing. I just yeah. know it exists. I yes. know. We talked to somebody once, not on the podcast, but somebody we knew moved into some kind of co-housing development in uh, mm-hmm. another community near Northampton, Massachusetts, yeah. I think. Yeah, and they were talking about how there's like this common like kitchen. <laughs> That's yeah. not for you. That sounds like a nightmare because... <laughs> That's like a dorm living yeah. situation. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't like people touching my dishwasher. I load oh, the that dishwasher. That's not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> What did you think I was going to say? <laughs> what? I might have to cut that out of the pot. <laughs> what? Dishwasher? <laughs> what did you? Sorry. What did... No, fine. <laughs> All right. We've established. All right. Let's move on. Sorry. I got the giggles. Co-housing is not for everyone. I think yeah. we can agree. Yes. But it is a very cool way to live. And yeah. Yeah. increasingly popular. Um, they have intergenerational co-housing uh, yeah. communities I know of in the Valley. 
I like that. That is a cool idea, yeah. actually. Yes. Where like you have like elders who are maybe retirement age, and then you have young families, and then you know sometimes you develop if you like you don't have a, you don't have a family like a grandma, you know, grandma, a grandparent relationship yeah. for your kids, and they have that communal like tr- back to tribal living basically yes. is that concept. Yeah. Well, that's a good idea. As somebody who um, only grew up with one grandparent, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I kind of use more older people in my life. Right, yeah. yeah. You know, because who knows? Maybe my one older person wasn't any good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Gra- Graham, wherever you are, you are awesome. I love you, Graham. I'm just, oh my God. I'm just saying, <laughs> a variety of older people is good. Yeah, yes. you get world experience yeah. and history. Yeah. All right. Um, so, Hannah, I'm excited to talk to you about this, too. Um, you yeah. have a... You have an art gallery in the in the Mill District um, space. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, I would love to. Yes. Sure. So uh, we have a local art gallery space that we opened um, earlier this month. And so when I first joined the Coles team, um, part of my job from the beginning was Cinda was like, I want an art gallery that sells only local art. And that was all she said. And I was like, all right, cool. So I actually modeled the gallery on a gallery I used to work for in Asheville, North Carolina. So it's a rent and commission model. Mm -hmm. So artists are renting the space and then paying a small commission on their sales. And the whole purpose of the gallery is to offer artists a place to show and sell their work. It's constantly going to have some rotating spaces. So there will be some newness every three months or so. Um, And then it acts not only as a place where artists can feel some ownership of the space, have their work seen and purchased. It's also connected to the general store. So there are opportunities for some of the work to be sold in the general store, which is a kind of different selling model. And then also it's meant to be a hub of the sort of creative community. So I have a big 10 foot gathering table in the space. And the intention of that was to have a place where we could have classes, workshops, conversations, give someone, you know, for instance, I had an artist come in the other day and she was just putting some new stuff in her booth. um, And then decided to sit at the table for an hour and draw because her partner had their kid and she didn't have to get back right away. So it's like creating this third space for artists. that's not their home. It's not their studio. I didn't, I wasn't even thinking of COVID when I came up with it, but it's even more imperative now that there are spaces where we can all kind of be out in the world, but feeling really comfortable. Um, and then we'll also kind of plug into the larger placemaking stuff that's happening in the mill district. So we just started up a farmers and artisans market on Thursdays. Mm-hmm. So there are opportunities for artists to, to sell work there. We're going to have other craft fairs that tie into different times of year. Um, so it's meant to sort of be a launching point for other opportunities, but the kind of core of the gallery is that it holds 25 to 30 artists based on how much space the artists in there are electing to take. Um, There's a front window that's a little gallery space that we get to curate, which is nice. And it right now we have 13 towns represented in there. We define local as an hour radius from the gallery, which encompasses quite a lot of towns. Um, 
and a lot of different kinds of work. So we try to, we, we accept all different kinds of art um, and try at any given time to have stuff in there that's all different from one another um, so that people really have a chance to be highlighted. And it's great because people come in looking for people that they know. People come in because, you know, I can't tell you how many people have come in recently and are like, this is the first place I've gone since COVID ended. And they feel really comfortable coming in because for a lot of people, art is very sort of soft and comforting. And they feel like they can walk around and not talk to anyone if they don't want to and just sort of take it all in. So it's really, it's been so much fun and putting the call for artists out and seeing who responded um, and then starting to figure out who's not there, who hasn't responded, what communities am I just getting kind of radio silence from? So it gives me a chance through the lens of art to also explore how communication happens, which is just me nerding out about communication pathways and the connectivity of the Valley, which Jen knows is mm -hmm. like always something that, that takes a little extra attention how you get your message across county lines have you learned anything um revelatory about that communication oh what a good question Thank yes you. um i have learned that a lot of social media followers does not necessarily mean a lot of social media responses and you still have to go to each town or each county in particular and figure out how communication happens there, who the point people are, because every community has the people that know everybody. You got to find them. Um, you talked about Britt Rue earlier, and I got connected to her a while ago. Um, and she has been an amazing, amazing touch point for communicating with more artists in Hamden County than I was in touch with before. Um, we had a really awesome uh, Juneteenth celebration on this past June 19th that put me in touch with a lot of people that did not, had not heard of the mill district, hadn't heard of North Amherst, weren't coming up here for anything. Um, so having events, making sure that you are paying attention first to your close in community, but then also paying attention to how things are communicated in other communities and then following up on those connections. I think that's the thing right now for me um, that is feeling a little overwhelming, but it's something that I really want to do is that you make these first contacts yeah. and if you don't follow up on it, they disappear. So it's like really making sure that you are taking the time to follow through, reach out again, reach out off of social media, um, you know, just using social media as the first touch point and not depending on it. Um, as a way to, you know, to have expectations that people are mm -hmm. necessarily following you. There's more work that has to be done. What do we call that, Sawtooth? Um, watering the garden. That's right. Right. Yeah, that's what we call that. I love that. Yes. We, we talk about watering the garden a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, what, what I love what you said, um, Hannah, right? And this is something that I struggle with personally, right? Is, you know, social media gives mm -hmm. us the illusion of connection, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's my opinion, right? Yeah. We feel like we're doing something, but nothing overrides the yeah. ability to, um, no, sorry, nothing overrides the effectiveness of connecting mm -hmm. with people one-to-one, -one, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and investing, um, 
time with people, right? Yeah. So actually connecting with right. people um, in, in, a, in a real way right? and in, in putting in some time. Right. That's yeah. the best way to get results. Right. Like, like this Zoom uh, media, you know, has given us the capability to talk to people yeah. over the pandemic. But I think, you know, we've been itching too to, you know, take the podcast on the road and like be able to go to the mill district and yeah. do the podcast at the mill district or, like you know, from the gallery. Right. Yeah. Then, you know, and that's the thing that we've been missing through the pandemic. Would but. you be open to that? I was thinking Super about open that. To that. Okay. Yeah. We can come that's and, what the table's for. Yeah, yeah. We can come and set up on that table. I know. Stone definitely. Gen. I know. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. I'd be open to that. So awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. I need to ask you this. Um, yeah. Did you do you have some longer standing interest or desire around opening an art gallery? Is this something that goes back prior to your role as a creative placemaker? That is a great question. I would hmm, I would say no. I hmm. mean it's not it's not that a gallery was something that I ever thought that I would do. However, in placemaking, to me, whatever the opportunity is, is what I want to do. So I don't think it's, I'm definitely someone who doesn't do a lot of sort of pre-shaping of how something happens because I want to be super present in the opportunities. So I think if I had come into the company and Cinda had not already had this desire I don't know that a gallery is necessarily what would have happened, um, but I was psyched that she had that desire. And it, I'm definitely someone who I like to take an idea and run with it. And I'm not necessarily always the one that has the idea. So I think of myself as a real facilitator mm -hmm. when it comes to things. So I've had wonderful opportunities in my own um, life and career to come in contact with people who have big, awesome ideas, but they're either not the implementer because they don't have time or they're not detail oriented or whatever. And I love picking up a ball and running with it. And then, you know, checking in with them along the way, is this what you were picturing? Is this what you wanted? And then when it comes to fruition, seeing their joy of that idea in action is like, I love that. So that was really I think that's where I come in um, uh, often. I'm going to so, go out on a limb. And, yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb and use an artistic term to categorize you. You're a producer. Yes. You're a producer. That's what you do. Yes. You, you take the ideas, you create the space and yeah. help connect people to the resources to make the ideas Definitely. happen. Definitely, yeah. I'm staring yeah. at Stomping oh, Jen. Yeah. I'm staring at Stomping Jen, Hannah, because I am yeah. a big idea person. I am a creative. <laughs> I am a creative person, and I don't know how to make things happen. But this yeah. is the problem because I'm an idea person too, and a networker, so I can like yeah. lead us to the fish, but then yep, I'm the fish. Wait, but you're the producer also <laughs> because I don't know how to make all this happen. What you made all this happen? Oh, I'm an idea. I'm the idea person. So, so am I a producer? You're the producer. Uh-oh. My <laughs> sense... And you don't think of yourself that way. That's no. interesting. That is interesting. My right? sense of self has just been turned on its ear. But wait, we can be idea people and producers. We can be all yes. of those things. We can? We don't have to be just yeah. one we thing? We can be... 
many different roles for many different purposes. Right. And listening to you, Hannah, though, like, I am like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I want to replicate you and take you under my wing and, like, have you help me with all of my big ideas. Yes. I'm happy to help. Happy to help. All right. um, Hannah, are you an artist? Do you do art? I am an artist. Tell me about that. Yeah. So I... um, it's, I wouldn't say that my um, tangible visual art side is at the forefront, but I do make jewelry and I refinish furniture um, and I do a lot around spaces, making spaces inviting and decorative and utilitarian. Um, I'm also an actor and a director, though I haven't done any of that since before COVID. Um well, that's not true. I did try and do one Zoom play. It was a bit of a <laughs> experiment for all of us. It was really funny. Um, yeah. So, yeah, hmm. I would say that I'm an artist. I think my work around placemaking, which feels shot through with artistry all the time, is definitely what I'm most focused on right now. And that's art. And that's art in its way. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. And I think there's, I'm just thinking there's an artistry around creative placemaking and thinking about the types of businesses and like it, it's all like there is, there's an art to creating the experience of of having, of having a place like the mill district. Creating an aesthetic. And that's, that's why we need people like Hannah. Oh my God. Creative placemakers. Yeah. I just yeah. connected it all stomping. Oh, <laughs> see. Oh, you. The light bulb just went off on my head. So ding, 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 ding. I would term so many people creative placemakers that would not yeah. call themselves that or actively mm-hmm. like push that term away. Yeah. Embrace I mean, it. Embrace it. It's much, it's nice, I think, to have an identity in mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. So anyone, I think, who's looking at their community, their space, and wanting it to blank, wanting it to be this way, wanting it to be that way, that's what you're doing. Yeah. You're place making. Yeah. You're just taking the threads and you're weaving them together. That's right. Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, I just want to thank you for doing this work because, I, I mean, it really does... Um, transform mm-hmm. communities, and in my mind, um, it's a it's such a better approach than we were talking earlier about the um, <clears throat> the bulldozing or the yeah. outside like corporate investor coming in and saying, "I'm just going to turn this all into whatever," right, and mm-hmm. not think about the community. So, you know, I think the work you're doing, the work Coles is doing, being a ninth generation yeah. um, company that cares. Yeah, cares about the area, cares about the land, right? Cares about the people is so important. So I just want to say thank you. I mean, I think it's really important, good work um, that you're doing. I appreciate that. Thanks so much. I love it. I love it. So that's my way of transitioning us to our our last couple of softball questions. Well, you didn't ask her if she wanted to talk about anything else. That's what I'm going to ask. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So (laughs) is there anything else um, that you wanted to make sure we covered? Um, or talk about it, it could be related to creative placemaking it could be anything else hmm. that's a great question i don't think so i think the only thing i would say 
and it's it's only top of mind because it came up in a um, I'm the I do this work a little bit in my home community of Greenfield as well um, because I'm a joiner and I like to get involved in things. Um, and so I think the only other thing that I would want to say because it came up the other night is that, you know, this placemaking does not have to be always like such an official process or necessarily a costly process. I think, you know, anyone who's looking at their own community, their own spaces and wanting something to happen, there are a lot of like really affordable, close to the ground ways to make something happen, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, I would just always encourage people to be in conversation with one another, see what other people in community with you, um, there are always people that agree and want things too. And you can build little coalitions. I mean, Jen, you know, all about kind of pulling in stakeholders and people and, you know, just really making things approachable and taking out some of the feeling of like, oh, well, we're going to start down this path and then we're going to need a grant for 50 grand. Like that's not, that's way down the road of something, you know? So the light touch close to the ground things, they're right there just waiting to be discovered. And COVID has really only heightened that. I mean, people are feeling a level of vulnerability and a need to connect right now that is so palpable. And if you are any kind of person who is sort of willing to create spaces for that, people are looking for them. So I would just encourage everyone not to think on it too much, like find a couch on the side of the road put it in the middle of town and see who sits on it with you because someone will. I love that. Don't be afraid to get started. Right. Right. Yeah. Have a meeting. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. Yeah. Have, Have a meeting. meeting. Who Have knows what'll happen? I mean, I, I mean yeah. this podcast, Hannah, it started with stomping Jen and I just sitting at our yeah. kitchen, at our kitchen table talking about cats. Yep. <laughs> and, he, and here we are, uh, you know, 150 something episodes later. Yay! talking to awesome people like you. Yeah. Yeah. I did, love that. How did that happen? What? I, Cause I, <laughs> I connected all the people. <laughs> Wrong. I wasn't afraid to get started stomping. But Jen. I had the idea to interview people. <gasps> That's true. Yeah. That's a good idea. And I also started a, a, not a podcast. It was a Facebook live thing in COVID for mm-hmm. the same reason. Yeah. Cause I was missing people. And I yeah. was like, I'm just going to, talk to people and broadcast it and we're on hiatus yeah. now but yeah when i come oh. back you guys are if you ever want to guest yeah yes i i have a question i don't want to derail us though from please. From, no, please. From, from from closing so um we all have something in common i don't even know if uh sawtooth knows uh hannah you just went through lpv right yeah what is that leadership pioneer yes. valley right yeah. stomping jen yeah. yeah yes yeah how was that going through that in covid Um, It was, I will say it was not ideal, but part of that for me is that I really love connecting in person and I love field trips. I mean, since I was a kid, field trips are just, as you put it at the beginning, my jam. I like going to places. I like talking to people and, and that not Mm, being able to be part of it. For me, I, I wish that I had waited to go through the program until we were not in COVID. However, you know, still made connections, still learned really great things. They brought great speakers. 
to us over Zoom. We did get to take two field trips right in the end, one to the city of Holyoke and one to Just Roots Community Farm in Greenfield. Both of those were awesome experiences. So um, I'm glad I did it, but I, I do think that outside of COVID, I've heard that it is a much more um, rich experience as far as the in-person connection to leaders around the Valley. Um, But it was really interesting. And I definitely came in contact with other um, leaders and professionals that are in sectors that I don't interact with very much. Like I don't interact with education very much. I don't interact with the medical sector very much. Um, And it was really interesting to have people in the cohort who are coming from those sectors and to kind of think about how they had been impacted and what their experience in the Valley is. Yeah. So, I, I think yeah. it would be awesome if, um, if you, if you could like host a field trip in the future for yeah. that, for that for organization, yeah. cause they would probably, oh, like, they would jump oh, all over that's that. That's a great idea. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. You um, are idea people. I know. Yeah. And, um, I'll take a commission on that leadership. We're, we're, all right. we're all right. <laughs> you <laughs> let me know what you need. <laughs> He's talking about LPV. Yeah. <laughs> we still have to get them on here at some point. Yeah. But we're all we're all alums now. So yeah. we all have these separate networks because we all went through in different yeah. years. And um Sawtooth and I both coached also. Yeah. Oh wow. When did you go through? Oh God. I always forget oh, my year. Fifteen. Oh, so you long. were sixteen. Sixteen. Oh, okay. I went the year after you, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And I who encouraged you to go? Uh, people at my work forced me to do it. No, that's not true. <laughs> it's true, Hannah. It's not true. Yeah, you encouraged me, but I had to go. They made me. They didn't make you go. I told him it was a good idea. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. But for the same reasons, to get outside of your yeah. comfort yeah. zone and go to explore the region and yeah. see what yeah. else. Is I'm being I'm being jokey uh, for all the reasons you mentioned, Hannah. I actually I yeah, loved yeah. it because I I didn't know our region. I have to say that yeah. um, I had no clue, and doing the program helped me really understand the how things are connected, just how special the area we live yes. in is, and like. Yeah. How many like fucking awesome people there are out there yes. just grinding? Yeah, just like grinding and doing awesome yeah. stuff. That's yeah. what I loved about it. Right, like yeah. Hannah. <clears throat> yeah, and the Mill District. And I'm no, you know, I'm no, I'm no leader. I mean, I'm just. <laughs> oh please! <laughs> All right. Says the man. So. Believe it or not, that was the beginning of a one-hour conversation all about me. Now, stomping Jen, and <laughs> let's ask Hannah this question: yeah. um, What what do you like to do for fun? All right, so not related to creative space making, even though that's fun. I know that, <laughs> but yep. how do you? What do you like to do when you're not working to to connect to yourself? To you know, yeah. how do you how do you let go? What do you like to do? So I really, really like to work on my house, my home space. Mm. Um, I have a nice small property in Greenfield that has um, a couple of outbuildings and I'm slowly like glacially moving towards that property being somewhat more of a communal living um, art studio space. I don't know over the next like, 10 years it's going to transform. So I love working on that and putting little ideas in place. And then I also, um, I do a lot of sort of self 
work. So I'm part of um, some communities of friends and retreat communities that just focus a lot on how human beings can sort of continue to evolve more consciously and connect more. So I spend a lot of time thinking about that and putting effort into that. Um, and then I also like to lie around and, and unplug and watch TV sometimes, mm. you know, it's everything I think from like deep diving work to remembering to take time to just chill out. So cool. I love that. I'm yeah. curious. I have to ask. I love, yeah. I love outbuildings. Yeah. The idea of outbuildings. Are they like barns or are they like? Yes. They, you have, I have a barn. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. I know. I and I think just sitting there. So, like, I want I want to do some things with it. We have a shed. I keep, we have want, a shed. I keep saying yeah. we should transform the shed. Yeah. yeah you can have a whole Slowly. podcast studio in there. Was yeah, the right. barn like an agricultural <laughs> space or did they put. Uh, it was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It predated the house. Um, I learned that from a, from a neighbor, um, and it's, it's small, it's really well built, uh, and it definitely needs a, a next chapter. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's super cool. I have another question for you. I'll ask No, go ahead. No, no, no. I'll ask her after. Are you sure? I wrote it down. Yeah. All right. (laughs) All right. Our last question, and you can interpret this in any way you want, um, Mm -hmm. And this is how we punish people who don't listen to the podcast, by the way. This is a punishment. Well, if you listen to the podcast, you know this question is coming. We oh. ask this of everyone. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So consider this your punishment. It's okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I'm going to listen after this. Um, what have you experienced that you cannot explain? And you, what have I yep. experienced that I cannot explain? Lane. Yeah, I mean, you can take a moment and think about it. And if oh, you don't have an answer, that's okay too. What have I experienced? What a great, fascinating question. It could be supernatural. Mm-hmm. It could be this podcast. It could be anything. <laughs> <laughs> anything that comes into mind at all. Yeah. You didn't play your music. I was going to say, maybe this will help you. I have some music to play here. Hold on. Okay. Um, We'll pick this one. (laughs) I love it. I think, oh man, I think the reason that this question is, is tough for me and a little ironic is that I endeavor so much to be able to explain things. Yeah. And I can't explain why that is. And so that's what I would say is I don't know where the need or drive to explain things comes from because I also love when things are like, you know, sans explanation. Like it doesn't matter why you feel the connectivity that you feel to other people. You just do and just go with it. So I've, I've not had a lot of supernatural experiences. It's funny that you're asking me that because I was just having a conversation with one of the artists in the gallery who has a lot of supernatural experiences. And I was like, yeah. why do you have all of these experiences? And I don't have these experiences. Like, it's so fascinating. So just why, why some people have that like natural inclination to experience those things and other people, like I think of myself as a pretty open person available to the universe for weird 
happenings, but I never get any of them. (laughs) But maybe, maybe it's you are involved in trying to solve the puzzle, right? You're Mm -hmm. focusing on that, whether it's, you know, connecting to people and trying, you know, like, maybe that's where your energies are going. Yeah. Right? I feel like I'm like you. Like, I don't have a lot of supernatural. Me? No, me. No, I have lots. No, Hannah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying, because I'm constantly like... Yeah. Trying to figure out and do yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I see shadow people. Yeah. Okay. Wow. All right. Oh, that's cool. It's I will not. Say, it's horrifying. Like, it's not. Oh, bad shadow <laughs> yeah. people. I was like, oh, people. No. no. Shadow people. Yeah. Yeah. I will say like one thing I've never been able to explain in this. I oh, it's very much why I am where I am now in my life because I embraced it and still can't explain it. But even since I was a kid, people drop into a level of honesty and openness with me in talking to me that is like instantaneous. And I don't know if I give off a vibe or I ha- like, yes, I'm an open person, but I mean, people just like look at me and are like, you want to know everything about me and hear my story and know exactly what's going on. And I do, yeah. but I've never been able to explain why that is. I don't have to do anything. And people are just like, dropping into a level of vulnerability with me that is so amazing and I've had to do a lot of work around how to manage my sort of you know energetic flow back and forth because I'll take on all the things that they're feeling boundaries Um, boundaries must be important for you boundary work is huge it's huge thank you Brene Brown for constantly talking about (laughs) some skills around that because it is you can't be fully open but I never want to be closed so you exist in a plate yeah take take work for sure yeah you are an easy person to talk to Mm -hmm. for sure yeah even through even through this zoom which is hard sometimes it is hard sometimes and I gotta tell you I mean having having done this for a while and talked to lots of people there is a People have an energy. Mm-hmm. Yes. There are some people you sit there and you're like, oh, fuck, this is going to be hard. <laughs> this is going to be hard. And you got to, and yeah. you like got to work. work you got to work yeah. the connection. Yeah. Like that's, and, but um, you've been easy to talk to. Thank you. Good. I'm glad. This <laughs> has been so much fun. And the spooky it's music so now. Hold on. <laughs> this. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, I loved. I love talking to you. I loved hearing about the work you're doing. Again, like I said, I think it's incredibly important mm-hmm. work yeah. and um I think we all benefit from it. So That's thank true. you. Yeah. Um so just to remind people, um I gotta make sure I've got my right sheet here. So we're talking to Hannah um Rechshofen. Perfect. Um, thank you, Hannah. Thank you. And Thank you, you and, things, yeah, and people listening to this now, I'm going to ask you to do something. You can find um, Hannah's um, presences on Facebook. There's Hannah's local art gallery, um, and then you can find the Mill District we were talking about online. They have a website. It's um, I'm going to put it in the show notes, and I will link it. Very cool. And yeah. we have Instagram too. Yeah. Yep, I'm going to link it on um, the Facebook posts and all the social media that I do. So you go check out these sites. Um, even if you do not live in Western Massachusetts, we have Tennessee for some reason. Oh my God. Lots of <laughs> listeners. Now, yeah. <clears throat> yep. And California is a hot spot recently. Hot spot. Huge. Yeah. yeah. There are second most, um, wow. maybe because I bought a bunch of Facebook ads there. <laughs> but listen. <laughs> 
just because we purchased you, California listeners, <laughs> doesn't mean I love you any less. Stomping Jen may not value you as much, but oh I do. Um, no, but seriously, <laughs> what I want to say is these concepts we've talked about, right? right. We, we've yeah. talked about this. We've talked about Amherst, Massachusetts. We've talked about Western Massachusetts. You can do this where you live. Right. Oh, yes. Okay. So go check out um, the Mill District website. Check out all of this stuff we've been talking about. Please. Yes. And, and Stomping Jen, what else do we want people to do? Uh, if you like this episode, or even if you didn't, share it. Yeah. <laughs> subscribe, download. Yep, subscribe. Leave do us a review things. on. Leave le- us a review on Apple Podcasts, yeah. please. Put a review up there. Do okay. All that stuff. All right. Um, I think it's time now. We say goodbye, right? Stopping, Jen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, Hannah, um, yes. we we like to end here by everybody going around and just saying bye now. That's our that's our sign off here. So I'm gonna go first. I don't need to be the last person to speak. Oh, you don't need to no. be the last. Okay. Um, I'm gonna go stomping Jen, and then we'll let Hannah give us the last bye now. Okay. Okay. All right. And I'm warning you, stomping Jen. Please let her have the last word. Okay. <laughs> I've seen you before. You like to sneak in a bye now. Okay. Um, Listeners, um, I love you and bye now. Bye now. Bye now. This world of ours, ever growing smaller, must avoid becoming a community of dreadful fear and hate. Those who have freedom will understand also its heavy responsibility. That all who are insensitive to the needs of others will learn charity. And that the sources, scourges of poverty, disease, and ignorance will be made disappear from the earth. And that in the goodness of time, all peoples will come to live together in a peace guaranteed by the binding force of mutual respect and love. I shall never cease to do what little I can to help the world advance along that road. 